Mercy Road Carmel. Let's make some noise in here for Jesus. <laughs> hey, to all of you who are in the room, to all of you who are tuning in online, let's make some noise for those watching online. Give them some love, excited about what God is doing here at Mercy Road Church. This is your first time with us, man. We certainly hope that this is not your last time. Mercy Road Church is a church that is a hospital for sinners, not a museum for saints. And we're glad that you're here today. My name is Mark Johnson, lead pastor of Mercy Road Church Anderson. Let's make some noise. Yeah, we've got some amazing things. We're grooving up there. We're moving and grooving. Things are happening. Um, that launch team is getting built, and, and a lot of cool things are happening. Life changes are already happening up in that city, and we're excited about what God is doing. Um, meanwhile, uh, this weekend is a very cool weekend uh, because I know next weekend might be the coolest weekend around Indiana. Any race fans in here? Indy 500? Okay, okay, yeah. Like, so, you know, for me, I'm not, I'm not a... Hoosier. Um, I, well, let me say, I'm probably becoming one. I don't know what the year threshold is before you like become an official Hoosier. Um, but every year, I kind of learn something new about Indy 500. Um, and, and this year, in my Indy 500 uh, 101 class, um, I, I discovered this thing called the snake pit. Anybody heard of the snake pit? Oh, yeah, the snake pit. And um, so I heard about this place called the snake pit. For those of you who don't know what the snake pit is, um, it's a loud, noisy, usually muddy, um, dirty, slippery, uh, smells like a lot of brew. Um, almost anything can happen in the snake pit. And uh, if you get a chance, maybe you could Google it um, and just look at all the wild things that happen at the snake pit. And, and to my surprise, I was like, wow, they actually, like, is this legal? Like, can they do this? Like, they're like, yeah, happens every year. Uh, and it's a crazy, crazy time. Singles are hooking up. Um, married couples are, uh, well, yeah, I don't know what they do there. But here, here's the thing. One of the things, one of the cool things that I learned about the snake pit was uh, in 1988, this guy uh, by the name of Tim Frizz Garrison, uh, he decided to take a shot and try to redeem this place that was dirty and slippery for something that was divine and sacred. Liz the Frizz Garrison, uh, he decided he would get dressed in all white, him uh, and a whole crew of his uh, best men and fellas and his wife-to-be, they decided they wanted to get married in the snake pit. Got in all white, yeah, there they go. Got in all white, marched into the snake pit, People don't know what's going on. Limousines pull up, and people are like, what's going on? The news stopped covering Carb Day and started covering this, these, these people in all white going into the snake pit. They walk into the snake pit. I mean, it's still loud. It's still crazy. It's still people running around, having a crazy time. And then uh, an eyewitness account said this. said that the crowd out of nowhere calmed down. And people put their beers, their beverages to the side, the only thing that you could hear were the cars still rolling on the track. And in that moment, they said, who would have expected all of these people in the snake pit to pause what they were doing for just this solemn and sacred moment? The eyewitness said, I never thought it would happen in a million years. And I thought, wow, in the snake pit, if God could use Tim the Frizz Garrison to redeem the snake pen. How much more can God redeem our stories? Come on, let's make some noise for God because 
Hey, that's, that's what we're going after today. We're in an incredible series, Ruth. Uh, we're looking at Ruth 3 today. And uh, those of you who are just tuning in, if it's your first time jumping into the series, uh, the rest of the content is online that you can check out. But essentially, the story of Ruth kind of starts with Naomi. And uh, she has two sons. And her husband, the sons, they die. So there are three widowed women um, and a mother-in-law. And one of them decides to roll with Naomi. She's like, look, I ain't leaving your side. I'm going to ride or die with you. We're going to go and ride this thing so the wheel falls off. And so she decides she's going to hang out with Naomi. Her and Naomi, they go off to a far land. And, um, you know, Ruth not only stays with, uh, Ruth not only stays with Naomi, but she also decides to worship the God of Naomi. And because she decides to worship the God of Naomi, she also finds that when they go to this far land, God not only gets them there and sets them up, but God also will provide provision. And when they get there, they get the provision of God. And then while God is providing for them and giving them provision, God then redeems their vision for the future. And he says, I know that because in that society, in that culture, during that time period, that your value, your worth, what's most important is who you're married to. And women in that society, they were valued based on the person or the family that they were married to into. And so as a result, you know, we get through those first two chapters of Ruth. And today we're going to look at kind of where the rubber meets the road in this whole story. It's where Ruth, uh, she gets connected with Boaz. Now, let me tell you from the outset, this is PG-13. All right. So we're going to read the Bible here in a little bit. This is not my words. This is the Bible. Uh, Ruth chapter three, we're going to read it. And we don't have to necessarily, I may not unpack all of the details, but what I do want to impact is to help us understand how Ruth three, help us to understand how God still has value in your life. And that is worth taking a shot because God can redeem your story. All right. Let's jump into the Bible. Y'all ready to hear from the Word of God? Come on, let's make some noise for the Word of God. Ruth, third chapter. It's a lot of reading, but it's good to read God's Word. Some of us haven't read our Bibles all week. Uh, so, Ruth chapter 3, beginning at verse 1, starts like this. One day, Ruth's mother-in-law, Naomi, said to her, My daughter, I must find a home for you where you will be well provided for. And now Boaz, with, who, with whose women you have worked, is a relative of ours, and tonight he will be winnowing barley on the threshing floor. So go wash up, put on perfume, and get dressed in your best clothes. Then go down to the threshing floor, but don't let him know you're there until he has finished eating and drinking. And when he lies down, note the place where he's lying, then go and uncover his feet and lie down. And then he will tell you what to do. I will do whatever you say, Ruth answered. So she went down to the threshing floor and did everything her mother-in-law told her to do. So when Boaz had finished eating and drinking and was in good spirits, he went over to lie down at the far end of the grain pile. Ruth approached quietly, uncovered his feet, and lie down. And in the middle of the night, something startled the man, and he turned, and there was a woman lying at his feet. Who, who are you, he asked. And she says, I'm your servant, Ruth. Spread the corner of your garment over me, since you are guardian redeemer of our family. The Lord bless you, my daughter, he replied. This kindness is greater than that which you showed earlier. You have not run after the young men, whether rich or poor. And now, my daughter, don't be afraid. I will do for you all you ask. 
All the people of my town know that you are of a, a woman of noble character. And although it is true that I am guardian redeemer of your family, there is another who is more closely related than I. So stay here for the night. And in the morning, if he wants to do his duty as your guardian redeemer, good, let him redeem you. But if he is not willing, as surely as the Lord lives, I will do it. Lie here until the morning. So she lied there at his feet until morning, but got up before anyone could be recognized. And he said, no one must know that a woman came to the threshing floor. And he also said, bring me that shawl you're wearing and hold it out. And when she did so, he poured out six measures of barley and placed a bundle on her. And then he went back to town. And so when Ruth came to her mother-in-law, Naomi asked, how did it go? My daughter, it made me think about it. It's like prom season, right? Like all the moms are like, oh my gosh, how did the dance go? It was so good. And the dad is like, yeah, how did it go? You were a little late. He brought you back two minutes late. So, so, so Naomi is the same way. She's like, how did it go? Tell me about it. Tell me about it. And so, you know, then she told her everything. Boaz had done for her. 17, I mean, that's the verse. Verse 17. <laughs> And added, he gave these six measures of barley saying, don't go back to your mother-in-law empty handed. And then Naomi said, wait, my daughter, until you find out what happens. For the man will not rest until the matter is settled today. It's an incredible story with a lot of details. I mean, hair on feet, my wife would never. Um, and so, <laughs> you, know, the, 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 you know, this is an interesting scenario, but, but here's the thing. Um, one of the things that I think is pivotal in understanding this, this third chapter is the, the mechanism of the threshing floor. That the threshing floor is something that many of us may have not heard of before, but, but the threshing floor was actually a place whereby they would bring their barley and, and they would bring it there and it would begin to separate the good part from the bad part. They would begin to separate the valuable pieces from the, from, the, from the pieces that were not valuable, right? They would begin to figure out, well, what was good, what was bad, what was right, what was wrong, and they would separate it. And then they would figure out, okay, after we've done all of the separation, how much is my crop really worth? So the threshing floor is a place of separation and also a place of revelation, that it's not by accident that God has their first date being at the threshing floor. Because the threshing floor was a place where people came to discover how they could separate things that they needed from things that they didn't need. How do they separate and get rid of the things that were bad for them and keep the things that were good for them? How they could use the threshing floor as this mechanism, as this metaphor for a place where God could begin to help us realize and discover our true value and our true worth. That at the threshing floor, they would take the barley and they would hit it against the floor, pounding it. For some of you who came in here today, you might feel like life has been threshing you. Maybe it's your marriage, maybe it's your parents, maybe it's the habit, maybe it's the, the, the job or your career, but whatever it is, sometimes life has a way of beating us down and you feel it. And it makes you think and question, how much is worth it? When do I give up? In fact, I'm ready to quit and throw in the towel and wave the white flag because I can't take it anymore. Brothers and sisters, and that's the scene through which God begins to redeem a young lady by the name of Ruth. And the very first thing that jumps out for me in this whole passage is that, number one, she accepts the challenge. 
That, that Naomi decides, that, hey, you know what, uh, Ruth? We, we're, we're in survival mode. We're doing good. Uh, we've got enough food. God has made some provisions. And now it's time for you to get out of my house, girl. Right? And it's time for you because, because I see in you that you don't have to settle for this life. Because I'm an old woman now. Like, you were married to my son. So Naomi, she's like, listen, my, my years are probably done with. But listen, God still got work for you to do. God still has value in your life that he wants to bring forth. God still has vision for you. Who am I talking to in here that thought that their age disqualified them, that their season of life disqualified them, that because they messed up or because they had that thing on their background that that God had disqualified them? No, God is not finished with you. You still have value. You still have worth. You still have a story that God wants to redeem. Naomi looks at Ruth and she's like, no. This is not the end. You got to get up out my house because God has something that he wants to do with you. And that might be somebody here today. You came in ready to throw in the towel, ready to wave the white flag. And I'm like, no, 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 no. Today is the day that you come and enter into the mercy road threshing floor. And God is not going to allow you to leave here with the same perception and perspective of what your value and what your worth is because you still have something that's worth redeeming. And Naomi, she sees that in Ruth. And when she sees that in Ruth, I love it because Ruth has an opportunity to decide to decline the offer. Look at what she says in verse number five. It says this, I will do whatever you say. I will do whatever you say. Here's the thing. They're comfortable. They've been through a lot. They've gone through some stuff. They're, they're literally walking around in morning clothes. Not like what you wear on Saturday morning. No, that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about these are literally garments that people would wear when they were going through grief because of the loss of a loved one. Morning clothes. But at the, at the, at the moment, they found some provision and things are going cool. They're in survival mode, right? They're not, they're not in struggle mode, but they're in survival. They're, they're surviving, right? They're not living high on the hog. They're not eating steaks every night, right? They eat ramen noodles, you know, but, but it's good. You know, they got the pantry full of some grain and some things that, that have been provided for them, and they're comfortable. And, and Ruth, in that moment, she could actually decline and be like, nah, I don't, I don't need a man. I've been down that path. I've done that. I don't need to be married. I don't need to do any of that. And, 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 and Naomi could have been like, you know, she couldn't even have been looking for the future and looking for something that's better. See, that's why you got to be careful who you surround yourself with. Because, see, you need to be able to surround yourself with people who can see the best in you when others see the worst in you. You need to think about the people that you, that you surround yourself with and the social networks that you're a part of. And think about how do they see the best in me when others only see the worst in me. But no, Naomi saw more in Ruth. And Ruth, because Naomi had nurtured a relationship with her as such, she immediately said, you know what? Whatever you say to do, I'm going to do. I wish sometimes we could be like that with God. Because how many times have God told us what to do? And we're like, oh, that's cool, but I'm going to do my version of it. God, that's cool, but uh, you know, I told, you told me to take three steps, but I'm going to take two and a half. You told me to say no to that promotion because you knew that the promotion would give me more money, but it would take away more time from my family, and I shouldn't have done it because I thought I had a better plan. But that's not what Naomi does. That's not what Ruth does, rather. Ruth says, you know what? I'll do whatever you say for me to do. And here's the thing. It's easy for us to know that that, that Ruth 
could have been a place, she was in a place of brokenness. These are are women who know that their value in society is based on what they have. But here's what I love. They don't allow their brokenness to create bitterness. Because they could have been done with love. I'm talking to some people right now, some people that's watching online, you might feel like you're done with relationships because the marriage, the last one that broke up and the last divorce was so bad and the last breakup and the last issue and the last abuse that you suffered, you're done with it. The last job was so bad. The last time I tried to discipline my kids, the last time I tried to keep up with people, I was hurt so bad. I was broke so bad. I'm bitter and I don't want to go back there. I don't want to go in there. But watch this. Don't let your bitterness create brokenness. Let your brokenness create betterness in you. See, because God has a way of using your brokenness. I had a friend, we were playing basketball, and he came down on his leg in a very awkward manner, and he fractured his leg. And I I mean, it was like a really bad fracture. It didn't break. And then he got carted off the floor. He went to the doctors. I remember calling him later on that night, like, dude, what happened? Like, are you okay? He's like, man, man, the, the doctor said I need to break my leg. I'm like, what? I thought it was just a fracture. He's like, yeah, yeah, it is a fracture. But the doctor says he needs to break it. Why would he break your leg? Like, it's not broken. What, 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 that doesn't make sense. He says, well, he told me that if he breaks my leg, it's actually going to heal and be stronger than what it was before it even was fractured. And sometimes God wants to use your brokenness so that God can come in and use that brokenness so that you can be built better, so that you can be built stronger. So that he can begin to build some foundational principles and tenets in you that God can begin to leverage in you so that he can bring glory to him. But they don't allow, Ruth doesn't allow her bitterness or her brokenness to create bitterness. But the brokenness actually leads them to a land where God is setting them up for better. Listen, somebody here needs to know that God is setting you up for better, that you go through the brokenness, you go through the hurt, and you go through this trial and the tribulation because God is trying to work something out in you. He's trying to get something out of your life. Many of us are like that grain on the threshing floor. We've got things that are attached to us that's preventing us from getting to where God would have us to be. But the question is, will you accept the challenge? Naomi put a challenge in front of Ruth. She said, I know, I believe that God has something for you, but do you want it? Do you want to take the leap of faith? Do you want to try again? Do you want to send your resume a 15th time? Do you want to make the call? Do you want to respond to the direct message? Do you want it? And are you ready to accept the challenge? And that's what's so beautiful about this passage because Ruth, she accepts the challenge. And here's the thing. Some of us may feel like we've given up on God, but you should know that God has not given up on you, that God still believes in you. God still sees you. God still loves you. And God still has a plan for you. The question is, will you accept the challenge? And I like it because Ruth, she accepts the challenge and she decides to go the same exact route that Naomi lays out for her. And she says to her, listen, I love it because it shows us that obedience is better than sacrifice. That they've already been living sacrificially. But listen, when God commands you to go, you need to go. So she accepts the challenge and and she goes. Here's the second thing that jumps out is that once she goes, I love it because it shows that before she even made the decision to accept the challenge, 
She was already doing this thing. She was applying godly wisdom. She was applying godly wisdom, and this was happening even throughout, throughout the passage and even before the passage in chapters 1 and chapter 2. Look what it says in verse 9. I love it. It says, uh, who, who are you, he asked. Like, <laughs> this is funny because it's, she was already a worker of his. He, he, he knew who she was because she, worked, she worked for him. She worked in his field. It's not like she was like a foreign person. But if you remember, Naomi was like, look, you can't go see Boaz smelling like this. Right? Go back and read it, right? She said, go take a shower. Go wash up. I can smell your underarms over here. Uh, so go, go ahead, take a shower, right? Uh, put some perfume on. Put some nice, go, you know, get some nice clothes. Get your nails done. Get your hair did. You know, get, get all of that. Get fly, get fancy, and go, go check out on Boaz. And, and what happens is Boaz wakes up, and he's like, what? Who, who are you? Like, I, I've never seen you before because he's probably only seen her in work clothes and in morning clothes. But now he's seeing the same exact person who's presenting, who's being represented differently. Let me tell you, God wants to represent you. That people who saw you in a season when you were down, when you were out, when you were dealing with anxiety and depression. Listen, God has a way of representing you to the same people who saw you down. They're going to have to see you when you're on your way up. Who am I talking to in here today? You know that God can represent you. That you don't have to be known for the person who's dealing with all of the issues and the emotions and the stories and the, and the chatter. God can re, represent you. He represents Ruth in front of Boaz to the point where he asks, who are you? And watch what it says. I am your servant, Ruth. And she, I like Ruth. Ruth gets straight to the point. She's she not beating around the bush. She's like, spread the corner of your garment over me since you are guardian redeemer of our family. Now, when she says spread the corner, what that means is she's basically saying, will you marry me? Now, th this get a little funny in culture, right? Because now recently you kind of see on social media, like you see women who propose to men. I thought that was like something brand new. Like, I thought that never happened in history. And then I'm reading, I'm like, oh, wow. Ruth kind of was like, hey, put a ring on it. What, you know? And you know, this is the first time. And I'm like, man, this is, this is wild. But watch, watch his response to her, which tells you more about, about Ruth than even her question. Verse 10, the Lord bless you, my daughter. This kindness is greater than that which you showed earlier. Showed earlier. Oh, I told you. He already knew who she was. It's not like she's, she's a familiar person. She's been showing kindness. Her, her, her reputation precedes her. He says, you have not run after the younger men, whether rich or poor. Man. And now, my daughter, don't be afraid. I will do for you all you ask. All the people of my town know that you are a woman of noble character. She's been applying godly wisdom the whole time. She's been taking the tenets of Naomi's God, those commands of God, and she's been following them by the letter, by the T, as she's working day in and day out in the sunshine. And people are watching her to see if she's really just a Moabite and, or a wolf in sheep's clothing or has she really turned over to believe in the God of Naomi and she was showing it day after day after day applying godly wisdom to the point where Boaz is like wait a minute I not only know you but listen you're so good everybody in the town know you the one 
God is already setting up your reputation. He's already setting it up. But see, we've just got to follow and apply godly wisdom. See, here's the thing. When he says, uh, you, you didn't like, you ain't like everybody else. He says, see, everybody else, they going after the young, fly, fancy, rich, driving, you know, caramel living, you know, you know, you're looking for, he in the gym five times a week, you know, he got the fly clothing and, and he's like, she's like, you, you're not going after that. Not only were you not just looking for the younger guy, you also wasn't looking for a sugar daddy. Right? You weren't looking for somebody to just take care of you, pay all your bills, and you just lay up in the house and don't cook or clean. <laughs> but what he was saying was, no, you've been applying some principles. And let me tell you, for the singles who are in the room, like, this is a word for you. I know we can get Ruth and Boaz and get all excited, like, oh, my God, I want to find my Boaz, and I can't wait for Ruth to come. And, but let me tell you, listen, you ain't going to ever get Boaz unless you get in posture like Ruth. You got to get in posture like Ruth where you begin to apply those principles now because, listen, the Boaz is always on the lookout for Ruth. But he ain't going to find it if you look like everybody else. If you're acting like everybody else, see, here is the principle. See, she was not moved by culture. She was moved by her convictions. And culture has a way of trying to set a precedent for how we ought to operate in our date life, for how we ought to operate in our relationships, for how we ought to operate in things that seemingly gets, gets, get, you know, gets hard. The emotional fragility of our culture has created the type of space whereby we don't even know how to have civil conversations. But as Christians, we ought to move in the way that Ruth moved and people of noble character, they should see us and know that you're a Christian by the way that you love. And so what happens here is that she's applying godly wisdom. She's moved by her convictions and not culture. And it's so easy to be moved and influenced by culture. I love it because Ruth, she's not trying to keep up with the Kardashians. She's trying to keep up with the foundational principles that led us to Christ. And maybe if we spent more time trying to figure out how to keep up with where Jesus left off, maybe our lives would look a lot, a lot different. So Ruth accepts the challenge. She applies godly wisdom, tells Boaz, you need to put a ring on it. Boaz is like, you know what? You got a good point. Because I've been watching you. You're, you're not like the other ones that I see. But then there's something that happens, and this is probably one of the most challenging pieces of the whole challenge. It's that after she comes back home, and Naomi asks her, like, hey, how did everything go? And she's excited. She tells her that you have to wait. <laughs> you got to wait. In fact, Boaz told her you got to wait. He said, listen, I'd love to do it right now, but there's another guy who's actually closer, closer, closerly, no. He's more closer related to you than, uh, than I am. And so because of that, um, you know, I think I got to give him an opportunity. I got to give him a shot. Uh, and if he doesn't do it, listen, baby, I'm the first in line. I'll be there. I'm going to take your hand in marriage. I want to take you and make you the type of woman that God envisioned for us to be. And so the third thing that jumps out for me is this, that we got to learn how to appreciate the weight. How to appreciate the weight. Listen, this is a difficult principle. This is a challenging thing because waiting is hard. 
Waiting is not something that, that's easy for us to do. And this is what it says in verse 16. It says, when Ruth came to her mother-in-law, Naomi asked, how did it go with my daughter? And she told everything, and Boaz had done for her and added, he gave me these six measures of barley, saying, don't go back to your mother-in-law empty-handed. Listen, park here parenthetically to suggest that when God is going to give you a waiting season, he gives you provision for the duration of your wait. Good God Almighty. I, I don't know who that's for, but somebody needs to know that even in your waiting season, God still will provide for you. God still will keep you whole. God still will keep your mind intact. He says, don't go back to your mother-in-law at the end of verse 18. Then Naomi said, wait, my daughter, until you find out what happens. For the man will not rest until the matter is settled. Listen, waiting is hard, but it's worth it. And I know that's not, that's not something that we love to talk about in our culture because we'd like to get it now, quick, fast, and in a hurry. But here's the thing. We need to learn how to appreciate the wait. Because when we don't appreciate the weight and when we begin to want to rush, let me tell you something. When you rush, what you're saying is, I don't trust. Now, when you decide that you want to get there faster than the pace that God has set out for you, then what you're really saying is, God, I don't trust that you're able to handle the situation the way that you've laid it out, that I actually have a better plan for how things should happen. I've got a better route. And because of that, I'm going my way. No, 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 no. When you rush, you're saying, God, I don't trust. God, I don't believe you're big enough. God, I don't believe you're strong enough. God, I don't believe you can get me out of this. God, I don't believe you got something better for me waiting at the other side of the tunnel. In fact, I don't have time to wait. And waiting is so hard because you, you, you could be waiting for something for five minutes, but it feels like it's 15 hours. And I love it because Naomi, she's, what she's really doing is she's hedging the anxiety. The reason why Naomi tells her to wait is because she knows that, Naomi, that Ruth has already come back and Ruth is excited. She's like, oh my God, he's gonna marry me, he's gonna marry me, I'm about to get married. And she's like, wait. And what she does is so smart. She says, you wait. And while you're waiting, he won't even be able to sleep. He won't even be able to sleep and rest at night. But, but I want you to know that you have value too. That, that you are just as important in this equation. And I told you that the weight and on the threshing floor, what God is doing is separation and revelation. But the separation and revelation, it takes place over time. It takes place over a season. It takes place at the threshing floor. But you know when you're waiting. Because the waiting is hard. Waiting for the job offer to be made. Waiting for your boyfriend to pop the question. Waiting for the final grade of the semester. Waiting for the doctor to give you those results. Waiting. Waiting for your children to finally act right. <laughs> Struck a chord there. But I tell you, we have to learn how to appreciate the weight because the weight is designed to help you get through the junk in your life, to help you separate who's good in your life, who's needed in your life, or who are the people that just want to gossip about your life. 
It helps you to separate the people who are for you, the people who are praying for you, the people who see the best in you. It gives you time for you to really counsel and listen and hear from God. It gives you an opportunity to gain a revelation. It gives you time to to even think about your guilt, your shame, your embarrassment. All of the things that are a part of your story in the darkest places where you feel like you never want anybody to go to, God gives you time to sit with it and let you know that even if you can't handle it, God can. And while you're waiting, God is separating, God is shifting, God is creating you, God is molding you into the person that you need to be for the next level of your life. Listen, you are worth the wait. You're worth it. And what I want you to know is that waiting serves you well. Waiting serves you well. Waiting serves you well. Listen, the Hebrew word for wait actually means serve. That to wait is not to sit on your hands. The wait is not to just sit like a bump on a log, like the silence of the lamb. But like wait means you ought to be serving God. You ought to be worshiping God. You ought to be offering up your services to help other people to figure out how you can get on mission with God. Listen, waiting means that you should serve. That's why waiting serves you well. That's where we get the word waitress from. Yeah, your server. <laughs> so the question is, are you willing to wait? I'll tell you my story about waiting. 2007, if you would have asked me a, a question like, hey, hey, Mark, how, how did you and your wife meet? First of all, you're going to get two separate answers, all right? Her answer is going to be we met on Facebook. I would say we met at high school. I would tell you she's probably right. Because in 2007, I reached out to my now wife. I reached out to Whitney through Facebook. Like, hey, I, see, I saw her in high school. Boaz saw her working in the field. And uh, the image of her kind of stuck in my mind. And then in 2007, I reached out to her. You know, I slid in the DMs. Hey, girl. Try to put my best Mac game on. And... Uh, you know, I'm rapping and I'm rapping and finally I give her my number like, hey, you know, she give me a call. We can hang out, go out to eat or check out a movie. And I'm waiting for her to call and I'm waiting for her to call. And then the wait went from a week to two years. Then it went from two years to five years. From five years to seven years and then I got impatient <laughs> but what happened was during that time period of those seven years I ended up going and God had done some incredible things because in 2007 I was still in undergrad I wasn't even thinking about preaching I was far from a preacher as a matter of fact and and at that time you know that what I wanted at that time is completely different than what God was working in me and through me 2014, seven years later, I get invited to preach at this church on the west side of Baltimore. And when I go in there, um, I come out from the back and I sit in the front row and there's like this angel singing on the praise team. And it was Whitney. And literally, I was like, who are you? Like, I was literally like Boaz because the last time I saw her, she didn't have these like nice little blonde streaks in her hair. So I'm like, what? She took a shower, you know? She put on some perfume and... 
So I had this church and I'm like, okay, God, I thank you because boom. So I go back to the place she dropped me off at, the threshing floor called Facebook. And uh, I hit her back up. I said, hey, you know, I understand like, you know, we all make mistakes. <laughs> and um, I've noticed now that you're a Christian. And so because of that, I'm gonna forgive you for not calling me. Um, but is that what you do? Like you get people's numbers and you leave them on hold for seven years? She laughed at the joke and she said, well, hey, here's my number. The ball is in your court and you can call me. Let me tell you, it was worth the shot. It was worth the shot. And I want you to know that you are worth the shot. That God hasn't forgotten about you. God wants to redeem you. God can restore you. God says, listen, if you will accept the challenge today, I want to restore your story. I want to represent you. I've got a fate and something that God wants to do with you that only God can do. That the plans of the enemy, they stop today. That God's plan is going to reign in your life. That you will accept the challenge. That you will step up and say, God, here I am. I will be obedient to the word and the way that you've called me to go today. I'm taking a shot. And I just believe that God brought you here today to remind you that you are worth it. You're so worth it that he sent his only son to a hill called Calvary 2,022 years ago because he knew that your life was worth it. You're worth it. Come on, I want to stand with you today. and I want to pray for us because I just believe that God is doing something so powerful here as well as online for those who are watching. God, thank you so much for reminding us that we are worth it, God. That you have so many things that you want to do for us. You have plans for us, plans to, 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 to send us and not to harm us, God. Plans for a hope in the future, God. God, you're reminding us, God, that, that you are worth it, God. That, that we, if we wait on you, that we shall mount up on wings as eagles, that we shall run and not be weary, that we shall walk and not thank God because when we wait on you, we see you restoring, we see you recharging, we see you renewing, we see you reuniting families and bringing homes together, God, and redeeming stories and calling people out of their sin into a life filled of eternal life and grace and mercy. So today, God, we pray that we not only hear from you, but that we're okay with accepting the challenge because we're worth it. And we know that it's worth waiting on you. In Jesus' name, amen.